Let's ask God to speak to us this morning through the preaching of his word. Father God, always uh, humbles me when I step into this opportunity each Sunday to bring your word, Lord, because your scripture says you use the foolishness of preaching. And uh, Lord, that's a little overwhelming sometimes. That means you use some very basic, average people who just get up and proclaim your word, and you use that to change lives. And so, God, we're asking for that to happen today in this room, that your word would penetrate to the deepest part of our soul, that we would hear it, that we'd receive it, and that we'd be willing to do it, that we'd be willing to obey it. So, God, I just ask that you, that you speak in this room, that you speak the uh, individual message to each and every person here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's, uh, let's do a little test. Mike Plowman back there. Hold up before you go to the screens, okay? Let's do a test. I ask him to hold up so he doesn't give away the answers. We've been on a journey the last few weeks. Who can tell me just real quick? We have three goals we're going to talk about. What's one of the goals? Nah. That's not the series. You Sunday. That's the series back in January. What's one of the goals? What's another one? Love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and then love your neighbor as what? As yourself. So let's not forget those goals. Let's not forget them because that's what happens. We are so busy in the rat race of life that we forget those goals. But ultimately, that should be the goals that, that we're all pursuing. Is it wrong to pursue a career? Nope, not wrong to pursue a career. Is it wrong to go to college? Nope, not wrong to do that. Is it, is it wrong to be a teacher? Is it wrong to be a, a, a trash player? No, all that's good stuff. But the meaningless, if we don't keep the focus, that no matter what journey of a path God has me on, that I'm loving God and loving my neighbor and, and loving myself. And let me remind you, because when some people see what love self, what do we think of? Well, self-pride. Oh, look how good I am. No, it's loving yourself, knowing who you are in Christ. Knowing who, what your identity is in Christ. Now, with that, there is a challenge that, that we lay out that challenge. We call it the challenge of life. Call it the rule of life. We kind of showed this to you last week. We kind of drawn this on the board. Life just comes at us, and there's just things that happen every single day in life. We have, we have money we have to deal with, or maybe it's a job we have to deal with, or you have relationship stuff you have to deal with, or maybe it's health stuff you deal with. And you could, you could probably divide that, that pie, that we are life, into all kinds of things in life. But life just comes at us, and many times it's not always a direct attack of Satan at us. It's just life happens, and so Satan uses that to distract us. And what our goals are. The three main goals. And so as life is happening, and quite possibly you're just dealing with some stuff in life right now. Maybe the finances are really tight at home. You're like, man, I'm going to make it. Or, or maybe the job is real stressful. You're going to have a lot of stress from work. Or, or maybe you're a student and you're, and you're studying. And you're like, i got to get better grades. And I'm trying to improve. Or the test is coming. And, and all these things, they, they, they're not bad within themselves, but they can become distractions. Unless we're managing them properly, we said there's, there's two ways to manage life. It's me, myself, and I. I'm just going to live life by the way I want to, by the way my mom taught me, by the way my dad taught me, by magazine I read, by talk show people I listen to, by, by self-help talks I listen to, whatever it is. I just manage life. I 
can figure it out, or we have a choice to put God in the center of life. When we do that, we choose Jesus to be our Savior, then we see the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and John chapter 14 tells us that he is a, a teacher and a counselor, and he teaches us what? All things. Don't forget that. Say it with me. All things. He teaches us what? All things. Don't forget that he will teach us all things. Not some things. The scripture doesn't say some things. It says the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the teacher, the guide, the advocate, the comforter will teach us all things. Teach you how to be a mom. Teach you how to be a dad. How to be a husband. How to be a wife. How to be an employee. How to be a boss. How to be a friend. How to love. How to forgive. How to care. How to have influence. He teaches us all things. All things. Not some. Not just a few. But all things. And so, we have a choice. Do I love life, me, myself, and I? Or do I live life saying, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach me all things? And so we want to do that, do we not? I hope so. And if you're in Christ, I surely hope you're saying yes. If you're not in Christ and you're trying to discover who is this Jesus, I want you to know you don't have to walk through this life on your own. Just like the song that Brian was talking about and singing, we have a defender and we have someone who loves and someone who cares who wants to fight for us and guide us and teach us as long as we will walk. Remember the call? If you are in Christ, 1 John 2, 6 says that we shall walk. We should walk as Jesus walked. And there's no way to sit back in a chair and just take it easy, no. That's an active thing. Walk as we get up and we move and we look at the life of Jesus and we look at what he did and what he does. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In other words, we look at his example and he sets the example and we imitate. We, we model our lives after him. We live like he does. And so with those three goals before that we've been wrestling with in this series, loving God and neighboring ourselves, and understanding that life gets in the way, then we took the word power... And we started down looking at an acronym, and the P stands for pray like Jesus prayed. We dug into that pretty deep last week. This week, I want you to look at the O with me. I want you to look at the O with me and understand that Jesus was a person of prayer. He was passionate about that. He wasn't lukewarm about it. He, he was fervent about it. And Mark 135 even tells us that very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And we found out last week that he, he, he prayed often. He prayed many times. And if anybody was busy in life, it would have been Jesus Christ. As pressure grew upon him, Jesus, take care of this person. Jesus, heal this person. Jesus, be here. Jesus, need to be there. And Jesus discovered, if I'm going to do that, then I've got to get up very early. And so last week, maybe some of us need to get up earlier. Maybe some of us need to get up before the sun comes up. Maybe some of us need to get up before the children are getting out of bed. Maybe we just need a lot of extra time in our schedule because as life goes, then we don't do that. And so today, now, we move into this letter O, and the O stands for obey like Jesus. We pray like Jesus, and then we obey like Jesus. The creator of the universe, who called the galaxies into being by the authority of his voice, illustrates by his own life the need to be under authority. Stop and think for a minute. Hold on. Jesus had to obey? 
Jesus had to be under authority. Someone was in charge of him. Someone was, was telling him what to do. So when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see his example. We see he was obedient to the Father, and it should compel us to desire obedience and our need for the authority of Jesus in the Scripture in our lives and look at his life and go, if Jesus was obedient to somebody, then we should be receptive to be obedient. Now, in our culture today, obedience is not welcomed. Well, now, if I, if I, obey, if, if I discipline that child, the child's not going to obey me. They're not going to be my friend anymore. Sorry, moms and dads. Our job is to instruct and to guide and teach a child what obedience means. In the workplace, well, now, you know, but I, get, I get too hard on these employees. I expect them to obey me. Well, here's my quit. I'm going to obey. I, I know that's where our society's at today. And in the schools. In the schools. I hear teachers today say, I'm not even allowed to teach a child to obey. If they, must, if, they, if they must be hurting, then it comes back on the teachers and the administration. Our world has things backward, folks. And obedience is a very biblical thing that we need to learn and we need to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus lived a life of complete obedience to his father. Jesus honors the authority of his father through complete obedience. It's a very clear but seldom pondered truth in the New Testament is that Christ's entire life and ministry were orchestrated by his Father and that Jesus was careful to carry out every detail according to the will of his Father. Jesus didn't come to earth and just say, okay, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'll heal what I want to heal. I'll preach what I want to preach. I'll sleep what I want to sleep. He didn't come here and do that. He came and said, Father, what's your will? Whatever you want, I'm listening to you, and I'll go in the direction that you lead me. And I'll do what you tell me to do. And let's just consider this thought, if you will, if you just consider this thought that Jesus lived a life of obedience, but let's just walk through some scriptures and just look at it. Hebrews 10, 7. Jesus said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. The scroll. What scrolls are you referring to? He's referring back to the book of Psalm. And the book of Psalm, it is written that there is one who is going to come, who is going to do the Father's will. Pointing forward to Jesus, and Jesus now draws back and said, it is written in that scroll that I have come to do your will. What does that mean? I have come to be obedient to your plans, God. That's what he's saying. I have come to do what you want done. His coming to earth was an act of obedience to the Father. His life and ministry focused on the will of the Father God. And then John 14. Now remember, we talk about John 14. Talk about it several times here. We talk about how the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. And then we get to the very end of the chapter. And Jesus is conversating with his disciples. And he says, I will not say much more to you. For the Prince of this world is coming. He's warning about the evil one who's going to come. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father, now get this, and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Exactly what my Father has commanded He didn't say, I have come to do just some of what my Father has commanded me. He didn't say, hey, I have come, I'm listening to my Father, but I will only do what I like, what I hear. He didn't say that. He said, I have come to do only exactly what my father has said. Now, let me just ask you quickly. Is that your heart? 
Is that my heart? Or do we want to debate with it? No, I mean, God, I know your word says, but that's what we do, don't we? I know that, but, but God, that doesn't feel so good. But, but God, that's not fun. But God, if you are reading scripture and you put in the word but, stop yourself. Stop yourself and say, now hold on a minute, I, I'm putting an excuse here. I'm putting an excuse. See, all that Jesus did and said was exactly what his father wanted him to say. Look at John 4, uh, 12, 49. For I did not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So Jesus is saying right there, when I got up to preach, when I preached to the crowds, or when I hung out with the few, the three, or when I hung out with the twelve, or when I hung out with the seventy-two, when I was with people, in my conversations, I was listening to God, and God was telling me what to say, and that's what I spoke. And sometimes we're guilty of our mouths running ahead of us because we haven't stopped to say, God, what should I say right now? He's saying, I just spoke what God told me. All that Christ did in this life and earth was done according to the scriptures. What God has spoken in the Old Testament was so authoritative that Christ obeyed it completely. Matthew 21, 4 says this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Well, what took place? That's a beginning verse that starts then demonstrating throughout the book of Matthew different things that took place. And ten or so times in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus lived exactly as the scriptures predicted in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And so it was referring to Old Testament prophets and the things they talked about when Jesus comes, this is what he will do. And he would debate it and say, I know they prophesied about that and God had that plan, but let us change the plan. He said, no, I'm going to follow that example. For Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity, to live out in minute detail what God had said speaks volumes about the authority of Scripture is to have in our lives. Jesus didn't argue with the Scriptures. He didn't debate the Scriptures. He said, this is what the Scripture speaks. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God has put together, and so I will do it. Look at Hebrews 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. That goes back to what we were talking about last week. We want to have a deeper walk with God. Look at the life of Jesus and the life of prayer. He prayed so much and so fervently that his prayers were cries and tears as he prayed. And then verse 8, Son, though he was... He learned, son though he was, he learned obedience. Is that puzzling of you or is that just me? That's just, I'm like, wait a minute, Jesus had to learn to be obedient? What does that mean? Does that mean Jesus run around in his diaper and Mama Mary said, come here, man, boy, you got to lie, whack. I, I don't know. I wonder about that. Did Jesus ever get smart mouth with his mom? And, well, mom, I don't know. No, now Jesus, now you're out of line, son. He learned obedience what? from what he suffered. So as he went through hardships, as he went through difficulties, he learned to be more obedient. And once made perfect, ooh, that's a deep thought. You mean he didn't come out of the womb perfect? And once made perfect, he grew, and in that perfection, 
He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. For all who obey him. So Jesus had to learn how to be obedient. And I wish the scripture spoke more clearly about, well, this is what happened when he was three, and this is what happened when he was five, and this is what happened when he was ten. We do know that he, when he was twelve, mom and dad said, come on, let's go. And what did he do? He stayed back. He hung out around where the word was being taught. And then mom and dad took off a day trip and they had to turn back and get him and said, Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, I'm learning the word. What happened when he was 15, when he was 18, when he was 21, when he was 25, when he was 30? That he was learning obedience through all of that that then led him to be that perfect atoning sacrifice that he is the only one that could die on the cross. Scripture doesn't get deep into all that, but it does tell us that he had to learn to be obedient, and he learned it through suffering. May I suggest that possibly a hardship or a trial you're walking through now or you will walk through in the future is an opportunity to learn how to be more obedient to God. That's something that may be happening in our lives. Because sometimes we're disobedient, and we're disobedient, and we've got to experience the pain or the difficulty of disobedience before we wake up and go, I'm not going to do that again. It's strange to think of Christ, the perfect Son of God, having to learn anything, yet the Bible clearly tells us that he learned obedience. We know he did learn it because, because he had to. He had to learn that. He learned obedience by experiment. And so we would have an older brother. That's what scripture refers to. And Jesus is called the firstborn among the brethren, a high priest who can fully be sympathetic and empathetic with our situation. Matter of fact, Romans 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so we have an older brother, because we're part of his family, who has walked through the trials and temptations that we walk through. He knows what it's like to have to learn to be obedient. And then Christ's complete obedience actually climaxes at his death going to the cross he shows obedience Philippians 2.8 says and being found an appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross when you look at the cross do you think Jesus wanted to do that? Do you think he was excited about going there? Do you think he was like, oh, yes, the cross is coming. I'm excited about that. Let's beat me and scorn me and put a crown on my head and whip me and accuse me and then lay me in a tree so I can bleed this horrible death and die, and die of suffocation. I'm looking forward to that. Do you think that was his attitude? That was not his attitude at all as you read Scripture. We see him in the garden prior to going to that death where he cried out and said, Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Is there some other possible way for this to happen? If there is, please do it. And then he says, but not my will, but whose will? Your will, not mine. In other words, he said, I'll be obedient. And Paul says in Philippians that he was obedient to the point of death. See, in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us to desire to do the Father's will. He prays then, he says, teaches his disciples, this is how you should pray, Father, who art in heaven, thy 
will be done. It's not enough just to recognize the authority of Scripture as the voice of God. God. God wants us to honor that authority by our obedience. In fact, Jesus makes his obedience to the Father a condition of our relationship with him. In Matthew 12, 50, it says, Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. If you're part of God's family, we got to do what God says. we got to be obedient. I, I like the example that Francis Chan has shared several times and if you watch some of his videos, you'll see him. He talks about telling his daughter to go to her bedroom and clean up her room. He says, I tell my daughter, it's time for you to go clean your room. When she goes up to her room and she comes back down and says, Dad, I went up to my room and I stopped and I thought about what you said. He's going, yeah, but did you do it? No, okay, honey, I told you to clean your room. Okay, Dad, okay. Goes back up to her room. He says, if she comes down and says, Dad, I memorized what you told me to do. I got it. Okay, what did what I tell you to do? Dad, you said go clean your room. Okay, honey, you got it memorized, but did you do it? Well, no, I just I got it memorized. Okay, honey, I want you to go clean your room. Okay, she goes up to her room, and she calls five friends and says, come together to my room. we got to have a study about what does it mean to clean my room. And they study it, and she comes down to Dad, we studied it. He says, what did you study? What you told me? What do you, what do you tell me? Go clean your room. No, I didn't tell you to go study it. I told you to go clean your room. And she says, well, I got it memorized. I also know what it says in the Greek and the Hebrew. I can explain all kinds of different ways. He said, honey, I didn't tell you to memorize it. I didn't go tell you to study it. I didn't tell you to bring your friends in there. I don't care if you know it in Greek or Hebrew or Spanish or Aramaic. It doesn't matter. I just want you to pick up your room. Kind of funny illustration. But are we not guilty? Are we not guilty? Now, let me let some of you off the hook in here. Some of you are not even in Christ yet. So you're still discovering. You're still seeking. Your obedience step is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's your next step. To repent, to confess, to follow in the motion of baptism. That's your next step. But a lot in this room, the largest percentage of people in this room, you have already repented and confessed of your sin and given your life to Christ, and we are very guilty. We are very guilty in the American church of reading it and studying it and gathering together little huddles and talking about it and understanding the Greek and pulling out our lexicons and getting on our, inter- on our internet and discovering what the passage needs, uh, says, but are we doing it? Are we doing it? That was the life of Jesus. He said, I do my Father's will. What my Father tells me to say, I say. When my Father tells me to go, I go. What my Father wants me to do, I do. Is that our attitude? So we want power in this life. We want to have have that deep walk with God. Then we must live in an action life of prayer, not just to talk about it, to really be people of prayer. And then we must be people who are completely sold out to the Word of God and do exactly what James was told to do, to not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves, but actually do what it says. Be obedient.